This is a special expanded edition of Strike 3 Podcast, the State of the Division Address. We'll be hearing from Division 3 NCAA Coordinator of Umpires, Mr. Don Umland, with CBN Enoch in the Sacramento Valley and Trav in Northern Nevada. I'm Thor, but not complaining, in New York. Now let's go to the umpire ejection chambers in Washington, D.C., where Chester Moist Muffins will introduce our guest. Mr. Speaker, the Division Three Coordinator of Umpires of the United States. Well, welcome to another splendid edition of Strike Three Podcast. I'm CB. I'm Enoch. And uh, Travis is Odominis, as my wife would say. <laughs> He's <laughs> sleeping a little bit because he wears graveyard. So uh, he'll be on the uh, next show with us for sure. And so uh, today's topic is the State of the Division Address. And we are so pleased to have Division Three Coordinator Don Umland with us today. Don, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Look, looking forward to it. Good. Nice to see you again, Don. Absolutely. Let's uh, just tear right into it. Uh, so uh, looking back, coming off an abbreviated uh, season in 2021, as the 2022 season approached, what do you believe the prognosis was for college baseball at that time? Man, that was such a tough time. It's, and it seems like ages ago, you know, yeah, since we... It does really does I mean it's amazing how time flies and you throw in a season and you get so far removed from like you know I, I have a hard time remembering who won like a, a world series a couple of years ago just because we things move so fast so I think when we hit 2022 I think the biggest thing it was trying to get back to a sense of normalcy was the biggest overriding factor you know COVID protocols were varied uh, some were maintained some were not but I'm very glad about, you know, there were some selective things, I guess you could say, or policies that came out of that season. You know, for, for example, with coaches being able to come out on the field and visit, you know, they were strained because of the COVID guidelines that they had to go to a foul line or, or to the home plate area and stay out of that area. Well, that's, that's still in play. And, and I think for everyone's benefit, that natural division is going to stick. Um, it creates time for the umpires to collect themselves. It allows coaches to calm. And I think in the long and big scheme of things, I think it's cut down on ejections. So, you know, you talk about things that have evolved out of COVID or coming out of it into that season. Um, I guess if you were going to say there was a plus, yeah, there was a plus selective things, but I would say, you know, I was relatively optimistic thinking, you know, hopefully we were coming out of the dark and then, and, and things were going to progress accordingly and i'd say overall it was a very positive a positive season yeah I, I do like that them coming to the foul line or to the edge of the dirt circle you think about it eric it's the only sport that we mean well as far as i can remember that we didn't have a boundary you know for coaches and now we've created a natural boundary to just kind of say you know you've you've come out far enough you know we'll talk but uh, in terms of these big brouhaha's on the middle of the diamond that we grew up watching, um, good, bad, or indifferent, I, I think uh, it's helped the game. And, and I think it's here to stay. Yeah, I'm not going to complain about it. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> <laughs> Don't me neither. So. 
like that fact. <clears throat> so look, looking in the past, so what do you think of the, uh, how, how things are for division three coming into the 2023 season? It's, you know, the new years are gonna come, we'll have the national, uh, the, the, the conferences, clinics going, going through and we'll, we'll start right into it, so. I'm excited. I mean, you know, there. For, well, first of all, I'll talk about what I think the the state of the division is. I think it's healthy. Um, we finished with an outstanding championship series. You know, we saw East Connecticut State cap what was a was a spectacular season. They went forty nine and three, which was I, I I couldn't look past back to find a healthy healthier number of wins that a team had had and how strong they were. And they ran through the tournament um to cap their season but you know the other thing i found really healthy or or something that i found positive was the fact that our ejections were down you can attribute it to you could argue you know maybe covid made some people change their attitudes or positions you could argue that the, the coaches box that we created was a you know cut down on it but we had 199 total ejections and four of those were in the postseason out of the 199 but if you go back to the last full season that I could compare numbers, which would have been 2019, mm -hmm. we had 244 and we had 262 in 2018. So whether this trend continues, which I am hopeful because we've really strived to create as much of a positive atmosphere between coach and umpire and player relations, uh, that we have a trend that's going in the right direction for whatever reasons that we put in play via protocols and what we tried to do in relationships between coaches and umpires. So, yeah, I, I'm very positive as we head into uh, 23 in terms of those taking those things from 22. Yeah, that, that would be nice if we can keep eject, ejections down. It, it takes a good part of my weekend because every one of those crosses my, you know, my desk or my computer. Right. They all have to be individually looked at. And I, and I know that's part of the job. I mean, that's comes with the territory of what I do. And like anything, I guess, you know, a lot of them are pretty cut and dried and straightforward. Uh, others take a little more time to have to sift through, but I think, and George would back me up on this because I know he's discussed this at, you know, either online or at the various meetings we attend is the thing that always disturbed us the most was a lot of times was the vulgarity that we'd see in some of the ejection reports. I think we're really striving to see comportment and professionalism uh, be adhered to. I mean, you have, you know, coaches have an opportunity to have a voice out there and they should, uh, but that doesn't give a coach or players free reign to just say anything and everything. We continue to strive to see that, that improve, I guess is a good way to put it. That's a good trend to have. It is. And, and I'm hopeful that that's, that's the route we're going. I, I think we are. But I think I'm going to be interested to see how this number ends up in 23 and, you know, and as we move forward, if we're going in the right direction, but I think we're doing the right things for it. Right. Yeah. So do you feel that, that as the postseason came to a close for 2022, that college baseball had returned to uh, that pre-pandemic feel? I think so. As a sport, we learned a lot about how to adapt. Uh, in a difficult situation, I think, you know, we had the benefit of being one of the last sports to start, you know, if you take the, the 21, 22 season, you know, obviously being a spring sport, we had 
more time to, um, you know, figure out what was going to be the best case scenarios for <laughs> and calls and how to travel. Um, not only as teens, but as umpires, you know, what was going to be the safest situation for us, whether we had to travel collectively or individually. Um, being outdoors obviously was a benefit, you know, so I think the combination of the timing and improvement in terms of, you know, solutions, we kind of found the best way to manage through the 22 season. Um, I guess you could say unscathed, you know, we, we played all the championships. We, we were able to function and get everybody where they needed to be and not have to be in masks, for example, and, um, and basically just go out and umpire. And I guess when you can do that, you can feel like the game has returned to where I guess is some sense of normalcy, which is where we started off the conversation. Right. Well, I guess it also helps that our outdoor, it's an outdoor sport and intrinsically it's pretty much socially distant. I mean, we try to be, it's interesting you say that, Eric, because we tried to be, whether we had to be physically, you know, separated from each other or not, there was also a big push to, to make sure that appearance all, always was seen on TV. You know, we had protocols in place that, hey, you need to remain physically distant. Well, with everything being taped and recorded, you get videotape of games at pregame meetings and they're just, everybody's, you know, huddle. Or we find situations where umpires wanted to talk with a coach or a coach or vice versa. And almost like that dividing line at the foul line, even though they knew it was there, just disappeared. <clears throat> because as you know, or many of us know, you know, despite us being officials, we, we want to please as much as we can. It's, a, it's innate in our human nature. But we've also got a job to do out there. And, and when things are relatively friendly, typically people merge closer together. And we just had to be real cognizant of like, hey, we've, we're still under some guidelines here, but also for everybody's safety, you know, in the long run uh, to maintain those physical distancing when it was appropriate and, and could be done. And uh, we weren't always successful, but I think the message got across and we just like, hey, I know we're in a better state, but let's just not let our guard down. And that was uh, something we had to continue to hammer as we move throughout the season. Kind of jumping forward, kind of thread jacking, something completely different, uh, trying to move, looking forward and, you know, try, try to keep you know, umpires coming into it and, and growing and developing. How important do you feel that this is two parts, camps um, and, and fall ball, being the other part of it, um, are, are the development of umpires and getting them to move into, you know, up into division three from junior college, high school level, um, and then, you know, progressing through the division three levels, getting to postseason and then moving. I think this is a really good question, Eric. Um, and I've, I've talked on this before in other, in other avenues. Um, first of all, I think there's one thing that needs to be clarified. There, there's in my mind, there's two types of camps. There's an instructional camp and there's an evaluation camp. And I think depending on which one you're going to, you have to be prepared. Well, one, you should make sure you choose the proper one for you. And, when I, and I'll clarify that. Both have benefits, but I think one is gonna get you less attention than the other. And I think if you go to an evaluation camp, sometimes those you're invited to, and sometimes those are open-ended just to come. 
that you're probably not going to get as much individual attention. You're going to come in, work games or portions of games, and get evaluated. Okay, and that might be that might be it. And you might get a or you might get a handful of instruction briefly, and then you kind of go through the grinder and you're out of there. Could it lead to an opportunity? Absolutely, especially if it's an invitee camp. Uh, because somebody's obviously recommended that you come get looked at by a multitude of individuals. When you go to more of an instructional camp where it might be to learn, let's just say a two-man camp or a three-man camp or a combined three and four-man camp, and you're going to work reps and reps and get instructed. And then maybe at the end of the camp or in the evening, you might work a game or portions of games that you get worked out of the length and they're constantly giving you feedback. I think that's where you can gain the most bang for your buck. Did you, but it also, again, depends on what type of camp you're wanting to go to. Now, with that being said, I think you also have to look and see who's going to be at your camp. And I won't be remiss. I attend, I try to get to two or three per year because it's just out of my own life, how busy I am. But I'm also practical enough that I would get in, I'll get invited to various camps and I'll try to make a rotation if i go to two two to three in a given year then the next year i might go to try to go to two or three different ones well i'm not or i'm smart enough to know that if somebody sees that you know don umlin's going to be at this one or scott taylor is going to be at this one or george or you know take a, a signer x is going to be there that might be the one you want to earmark if that's the guy you want to be in front of that you know if that's the direction or like you said you want to move up to division three so i know when i get asked to go out to a selected camp they're going to market that on their information one they probably want the camp to fill but you know secondarily they want there's certain guys that are coming just because they want to they want to be seen and i get it so and i'll have guys specifically come up to me and said i'm really glad you're here because they maybe we've just met they, they you know they've never had a chance to show off their skills so they're relying on their coordinator to be their voice which is normal and fine but now they've got a chance to be directly in front of me i have a list of names and maybe i recognize a handful on there like oh there's somebody i've seen the name of before and now i can put a face with a name and see him firsthand work that's i mean that's where i think you can really shine when it comes in terms of a camp mm. now when it regards to fall ball i always think it's a plus to put yourself in front of coaches in a non-stress situation and i think fall ball is about as non-stress because you've still got the players that are competing and they're and they're still they're playing hard and they're wanting to you know shine in front of their coaches but from an umpire standpoint it's probably the best chance opportunity to get in front of a coach that maybe they don't normally get to and you know just living where i do you know i'm an hour from iowa city i've went up there a time or two and worked with some younger guys that are trying to move up and i'll just go watch because it's a great opportunity for maybe to see a guy i don't normally see during the year but if you have a chance to work with a peer particularly a veteran who can give you direct feedback with for areas of improvement i don't know why you wouldn't want to take advantage especially if you go somewhere for example, like Iowa, or let's even take a small college. Maybe you take an extra guy along and you work three or four man 
and you have a chance to work on skills that you don't normally get to do during the year and you can feedback with each other. And if I was going to throw in another bonus, if you get somewhere that has a K zone or a that's that's taping the strike zone and you can get a report when you're done, you should always take advantages of those opportunities. So I, I guess it's all a matter of what you want to try to get out of it. Um, but yeah, fall ball can have a, a multitude of benefits, at least in my opinion, guys. Right. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned the uh, the K zone or that the, some of them have the, that laser plate. Yeah. <clears throat> some of us kind of had contests with each other who gets the uh, highest percentage. <clears throat> we're all competitive in nature. We all <laughs> want to see if we're just a smidge above the other guy. And, and here's what else I think it does it also does, Eric. Um, I think it can, ex I don't want to say expose, but you know, if I know a guy, if I had a player that played for me, like I'll take youth basketball that I coached and I knew what his strengths were. I wanted to know if that person was willing to work on their weaknesses to make better. Cause I already knew what the strengths were. When you get a guy or girl that, that goes and wants to you know, candidly get observed and evaluated. And then you figure out your weakness is the left-hand batter and you tend to stray off the corner. Then I know that that's something I need to rein in to, to raise my number you know, mm -hmm. to be better. I, that's what I want to know when I have a chance to get in the report like that, because it just shows what I need to do to tighten up a little bit. You know, we all can't be the Pat Hobergs of the world and and, 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 and sing 100%, which is just nothing short of phenomenal given the situation that he did it in. And right. you know, I mean, I know those are, we all strive to be perfect and we can't be perfect but if we can be pretty good and be consistent at it, you probably got, got a place in college baseball. Hey, Don, knowing that you can't be everywhere all the time, uh, do you have certain go-to people throughout the country uh, as far as being your eyes and ears? Yeah, I... I, I I, I could, it, I'd be remiss to say I couldn't, I can't do this by myself. So there are, you know, you've got 32 to 33, 33 division three conferences that are basically governed or assigned by 16 to 20 assigners. And those guys have to be my eyes and ears. But even within associations where you've had veterans i guess veterans is good a word as any but maybe you know past world series umpires past regional veterans past division one umpires that maybe aren't working division one anymore but are available to go out and take a look at somebody for me uh, yeah I, I utilize those individuals to get an unbiased feedback on somebody that maybe i'm looking at because i can get access to their schedule and then i know where, they, where they're going to be and i'm like hey can you, would you be able to go out and, you know, swing out and watch a few innings for me? And, and then I'll get a report back. And then, then I can supplement that behind a coordinator or an assigner's list that he sends me. And if I get a really, really favorable report on a guy or a non-favorable report, then maybe I can sit down with the coordinator and say, I know this is just a one-time snapshot, but here's what we saw does this change your position in terms of where maybe they rank or deserve to be ranked on on a list because there's nothing better than 
you know, whether it be me or somebody else to be able to slide into a ballpark and, and observe somebody when they know, when they think nobody's watching. In fact, that's how we should always work. Like we're being watched, you know, to, you know, to be at our best, you know, it shouldn't have, we shouldn't have, have to have that to be good, but you should always work like, you know, you never know. And when I can get feedback that's unbiased or not knowing that anybody's there, that sometimes that's the best information I can get because I can say, well, here's what they saw. So I utilize whatever resources I can. And then obviously, you know, when I do have some time, I can pop on, you know, not everything's on, you know, TV or video, especially for D3, but a lot of stuff is streamlined and it may not be the best footage but sometimes some footage is better than no footage. And you may be able to see everything in detail, but I can watch for things, especially like dead ball officiating. You know, how are they, are they hustling? Are they, are they being nonchalant when they shouldn't be? Are they engaged with coaches? Are they engaged with players? You can get some semblance of that when you still watch video, albeit it might not have audio or might not be more than one camera. So there's opportunities. Yeah, for sure. Being technology, being the way that it is, you know, <clears throat> my view is, and I know Enoch and Trav uh, share my opinion on this, that we're always being watched. Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, there's to, to go onto a baseball field and think that your coordinator is not watching or that uh, somebody's not taking some sort of film going on is ludicrous. Or the mere fact Maybe they're not watching it live, but I guarantee if something happens and there's a text message, somebody's going back and looking at the looking at the the, the video to just see what well, what what did happen and hope it may not show it, but, but it's going to get looked at. Yeah, for sure. And just like you were saying, you know, the it may be only be one camera, but you can get on there and see body language, which tells a big tale and and a plethora of other things that you don't necessarily need sound for to see kind of like what's going on and how this person's handling this type of situation. Yeah. The report might fill it in and then I can piece it together with what I'm seeing. And in fact, that's been useful before, you know, we've had ejection reports come in and not very often, but it's like coach X will send a, a, a retort and say, that's not what happened. And I've got video to, to back it up. I'm like, okay, send it to me. Let me yeah. see. And it may be like, well, it wasn't quite how you described it, coach, or it might be quite, quite by how the umpire described it. And that's obviously the worst case scenario is, you know, we could sit and have a separate topic about ejection reports, but by golly, what, whatever happens, you better darn right, darn well write it the way it occurred, because at some point, some video is going to probably show up to support or refute right very important to be stick to the facts yes um oh and i saw what you did on uh facebook uh what you did for your college world series umpires this year but the uh with the home plate and everything and their names yeah. and i thought that was that was that was pretty neat you know one of our guys came up with that and he messaged me about it prior and he said do you think the guys will like this and i'm like man, you've just, you've just hit something that I will do. He said, I'll do it every year for the guys. You just let me know who they are. And I'm like, well, I think you got eight winners from this year that, that would fully support that. So 
I, I certainly think that's something we're going to be doing down the line uh, quite often. And for those of you, obviously, there, you know where this is on video, but if you look on, uh, I think, I think it might be on your Facebook page, uh, Don, or the D3 page, where it uh, a guy made a home plate out of wood and put everyone's name in it and the uh, college uh, college baseball symbol, the NCAA symbol, on a great piece of artwork. Yeah. A beautiful piece of artwork. Yeah. And, um, boy, talk about something that those guys will remember for the rest of their lives. I mean, that really uh, – that really made a statement. You know, you get, you, we all have the opportunity to get rings and that's, that's always a really cool thing to get in, in, in you, you've earned the ring, but you get something, a piece of hardware that's, you know, kind of constructed from, from love and, and the mutual feelings of what we do. And it's, it's solid. And you can just, you know, in your office, you can just look at it every day. And I mean, those are the, those are things you'll remember the rest of your life. So yeah, it was very well done. Thank you for mentioning that. You bet. So with college baseball getting bigger every year and the quality of umpiring getting better every year, what do you feel as the coordinator that we as umpires need to urgently get better and more consistent with across the board? I took some serious time when I did when I when when this question was posed to me in the past and 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 I think about this each year the the word urgent I think is really important in in, in your question um I think calling strike the strike zone is written is it sits at the top of my list because as you guys know I mean you're really judged you know one of the first things we're judged about and there's a multitude of things we could talk appearance and approachability and how we handle situations you know, how good are we on the plate? What's that? It comes down to that. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, there's a selected amount of things, but I mean, how good are we on the plate and calling balls and strikes? And I, and I think the days, and I've said this in the past, I think we're beyond it now. You know, the days of calling chalk to chalk are over. Or if, if it is, you're, you're not working at a higher level of baseball anymore, not at the college level. The zone is written in a certain way. The video backs it up because you're going to be evaluated based on a very defined, not very defined, a def zone that we are that we need to accept as, as written as rule. And if you don't have the, I mean, you have to have a bit of bravery, fortitude to call the high strike, or at least that's how I think it used to be, that you, you've got to be bold to go up because everybody can see it. And now you are rewarded for calling the strike zone is written. And I think coaches appreciate that even more now because, and, and I won't name the coach, but I had a really good conversation with him about this. He says, Don, I can teach my kid to hit the high strike if we want to call it the upper quad strike because it's over the plate. And we're teaching kids to hit over the plate. But when you call pitches that are three, four inches outside, how am I supposed to teach him to hit that when sometimes it's going to be called a strike and sometimes it's not? And he, and he and I were in complete agreement. If I call the zone as written and a player looks over at his coach and he's like, it's, it's in the zone, hit it. I mean, it's very defendable, especially since the machine will back you up to say that it's a strike. But um, so I think that's one of the key points for, for umpires or urgency is to continue 
to be better and, and to be more consistent. We always want to be consistent, but to call the zone was written. Um, I think the other thing that's important for me is the consistency in regards to warnings and ejection procedures. And I think we continue to be better and better at it because we've had it hammered home at us that you have to use the proper verbiage when you're going to warn. You have to go through the proper procedure of what you're going to say, what's going to be allowed, what's going to be the next step. Because at the end of the day, if I do all the procedures, it's defendable. When I write the report and say, I did this, I warned this coach with, by saying this, I walked away. He continued to argue. <laughs> My partner stepped in. There was a warning beyond that, or you're going to get prolonged. And if we do all those things and then properly write the ejection report properly, I get it. It's defendable. Like, coach, it's written out here. This is what was did this and this that happened. I, I don't know what you want me to say that you would ask them to do different. So I, to me, that's the top two things in my book. So I have to remember that. This is your yep. official warning. That <laughs> continue to argue, you will you be. will be injected. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's been hammered to it. It was pretty good. I yeah. Hopefully, hopefully it, it, it translates for, for everybody. I think, and I think coaches understand it. You know, there'll be there. I, I think we're kind of moved past this little phase where, you know, when you say this is your warning, you know, yeah, yeah, give me my warning, whatever. That kind of used to be the initial reaction. It could just get it over with. Well, okay, now they understand that when I say that, you, you, now the line has essentially been drawn in the sand. You right. want to cross the line, don't say I didn't tell you so, is what it comes down to in as professional a way as possible. Right. Well, and, and we know coaches that they wait for the warning. Yes. How far are you going to let me go? Okay, here's the, there you've drawn the line. Official yep. warning. I know this is where I can go. I'll go no further. Yeah. And if you want to be giving the snarky response, I'm just going to ignore it because there's just, there's nothing to respond to it. It's a comment. Right. There's nothing I can say that would be productive to his snarky response as long as it's not personal and attacking. We're just going to get it. And we now, now it's in your court. Walk away. If you want to, you know, so that's how I feel about that. Kind of jumping around, kind of like officiating in general, because we generally don't see it at our level of scholastic officiating, but violence against sports officials um, seems to be growing at an exponential rate across, across the country. Um, as a, the national coordinator, what what do you feel we can do to kind of draw more attention to this matter and help our our, our brethren officials, um, not so at, at this level, but at, at all levels, kind of get through this? This one's tricky, guys. Um, I agree that something you initially said, the higher the level, the, clearly that the less chance of assault tends to occur. And, you know, as, as there's a lot more protocols in place and there's a Right. presence of individuals to make sure that happens. Um, I think you guys know this. We've talked about this in the past. I, I officiate three sports and I'm pretty heavily involved in getting kids started because I've been the campus rec director here, you know, at Augustana here in, in the Midwest, you know, small school, but I have great opportunities to get kids started in, in officiating. And, and I've had a nice amount of those kids do football this year and, and are involved in basketball. But as you guys know, the introductory level is typically youth, 
and or junior high. Right. And, uh, it's a tough situation getting anyone to commit to an avocation where the environment is less than ideal. You're sticking in young individuals into scenarios where maybe they're not always properly equipped to have the, the people skills to their advantage. Their youthfulness works to a disadvantage. There's others that take advantage of those situations and that makes it tough. So to answer your question, I think efforts mu must be coordinated between officials, game administrators to, to put expectations on the coaches and subsequently, subsequently their players to make the environment as positive as possible. So in, in essence, it's a collective effort, but that has to start between myself and the administrators to make sure that the expectations on the coaches is there. You get into a, a lower level or youth level coach, you may not be guaranteed that they've been given the um, proper incentive motivation to behave to be a part of the big, bigger picture to you know what we're really here for and that can make it really tough so for the from the official standpoint mentors just become essential for those who might be less proficient because they can learn from their experience while not failing they can have somebody there to cushion the fall they can have somebody there that if a coach gets out of line can deflect so they don't get demeaned um, but it definitely has got to be a coordinated effort among all individuals. And it's very funny that you say that, um, because we're having, you know, these issues occur all the time. We've had even issues in, in, in my recent past, I I've heard of issues with lower level officials having, you, you know, they come to me and I'm like, I don't know if I want to continue to do this. So that's a tough position to have somebody that's a first or second year official when you're trying to get them to stay engaged and, and invested if they're having negative experiences at such an early, you know, an early time in their career. Yeah, very true. And even it's, I want to say a little league official, I think, or, or travel official in his seventies um, and the New Jersey area this year was knocked out by a coach. We had um, a guy down in Texas get uh, assaulted by a coach. Um, I think we collectively need to start recognizing um, when things are happening to our partners, for instance, and a coach comes out pretty violently or, or, or not violently, but just aggressively, you know, towards them. It's like we need to do a better job at when we're not the official getting yelled at and it's one of our partners, we need to engage a little bit more to hopefully, you know, when we see it going really, really South to get in there, prevent and get some separation between the official and the coach or the parent or what have you like that. So we can do a better job at de-escalating before it gets to that point. I mean, sometimes they just, you're not going to prevent it. No. Um, but uh, but we as officials can do a better job at recognizing when things are going south and do something a little bit more proactively to protect our partner. I did, I you know, granted this is years of experience, but I mean, when I know something's brewing, I've pulled just at times just stopped play when the balls went out of bounds and brought the two captains together and said, hey, you need to take care of your guys, you know, now. 
you know, we're, we're not going to go, we're not going to go any further this or at the appropriate quarter break to bring the head coaches together or separately and just say, here's the deal. We've worn player zero twice and he's not going to get another warning because he spouted. We had this the other night. He spouted off to the opposing bench going by twice in a basketball game. And, and they're like, we're not going to put up with this. And I'm like, I'll handle it. And the coach was immediately like, you hear it again, I'll, I'll yank him out. And I said, well, it's either you're going to yank him out or he's going to get a technical and, and, and things, things were taken care of. But I think again, like you said, being proactive curbed what could have been a much worse situation. And that's not always easy because like you said, sometimes they just come out of left field and you just can't, you can't prepare for it. You just got to kind of have to brace for what could be the, the worst case scenario and, and try to stop it. And then unfortunately that's the, we see the worst case scenarios because obviously everything gets posted these days. Um, right. And I think yeah, without so, doubt. that doesn't help. No, it does not. Well, Don, we sincerely uh, appreciate you taking the time to uh, come on the show again, giving us the uh, state of division three baseball. Um, one last question for you uh, today. Um, when your time comes uh, to pass the torch uh, to your successor, uh, what would you like your legacy to be? I think for me, I remember back seven years ago, almost eight, when George Drusius met with me at a hotel lobby in Minneapolis in the dead of winter. I was up for Christmas where my family was from and he, he lives up there and he passed me the proverbial football as we called it. <laughs> like handing off this big bag of stuff. With the nuclear codes, right? Yeah, with the codes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He said, hey, don't drop this. <laughs> and he set such a high bar before he he, you know, he moved on to his, his bigger, and I don't say bigger and better things. He went and moved on to something else. I mean, they're, they're all important positions. And my goal then, as it is now, is to leave the position of D3 baseball in a better place than what I, you know, than when I took it over. I, I think if I had to pick three things that, you know, that I try to do is to get the best available umpires to the postseason, And you try to keep different factors, you know, how important is geography to get everybody, you know, a relative area of the ge geography represented. Yeah, it's important. But if I don't feel I have a proper representative from a certain geographical area to represent, and it's more important to get the best there then we do then we go that route fortunately knock on wood i've pretty much been able to represent each geographical area of the country in the seven years that i've done it so there's no steadfast way i have to do it but i think there's some appreciation from the coaches across the country they want the best available people there Right. I want the best available people there too, with trying to keep that, you know, um, several things in mind. One being geography, and I think diversity is at my forefront. You know, we've had a variety of individuals from different cultures, ethnicities work the championship uh, that were all qualified. But, you know, we keep these things in mind. Um, I think we continue to work on the recruiting process. Um, that's always at the forefront. That, you know, what can we do to get, 
you know, I don't want to say young individuals, though that's a benefit, but just getting more individuals involved in the sports officiating process and keep them engaged and involved for long term. Uh, and then to support the coordinators in their endeavors. You know, they're, they're the ones that are out there training and developing the officials at camps and at clinics, uh, meetings, uh, however you want to name it, information that they see them post, that if I can support that in any way, whether that means make an appearance, support something they're doing, uh, then I think I, I'm sending the right message to those individuals and constituents that are working Division Three baseball. And uh, before I let you guys go, um, this is a bit unique because this just happened within the last week, but in the seven years that I've been working, I've never really had anything like this happen before. Um, but I, I think I'd be remiss to not, I think this is a great platform for me to mention this, that I had an umpire that worked the championship two years, before, two years ago for, for me named Dave Simon. And Dave Simon was from Albany, New York, who was uh, 40, 50, 51 years old that just had a heart attack about a week ago and, and passed away. And, you know, God bless David and his family and thoughts and prayers of to, to all of them. But I've never really had something like this happen before. But the first thing I, when I found out is I called the seven guys immediately that were his crewmates at the championship and they were devastated and right, you know, understandably. So many of these guys had worked either regionals and super regionals together, or they had worked the championship for the first time, but they were all, they were all brothers, you know, in regards to this is a shared and I told them this, I said, there's one thing that, that nobody can take away from any of you guys. And that's the shared experience that you guys had together getting to this collective point. And they were very, I think they took some comfort and solace in it that, you know, this is the way we can remember Dave. And, and, you know, when he was, you know, he reached a goal that they all wanted to reach. And at the end of the day, there's going to be very few games that we're probably going to remember guys. It's going to be the moments that we shared on the road, in the locker room, uh, on the phone uh, that are going to be remembered more than anything. And, you know, I just wanted to make sure I had an opportunity to, to bring Dave up. He was a tremendous umpire, great family man, and, and he'll be missed not only as a family guy, but as an umpire. And, and, and I'm sure these, we're, we're, this will happen again to all of us, and and it's just an unfortunate reality that we live in. Just great person, and appreciate you allowing me that time to share that. No, th thanks for thanks for bringing that up, Dave. Yeah. Well thought of, and even out here, we, we we've heard of Dave. So, well, so I'm, I'm very excited to know that we're we're turning the corner here soon. You know, January means NCAA meetings. I'll be traveling, be on the on the road or in the airlines, you know, heading to various locations like Orlando and Baltimore and Chicago here in January to see a lot of guys and share a lot of information. And, and then we'll, we'll roll before you know it. it it's coming right up as soon as we know it. Um, yeah, it sure is. To Eddie Richard, are you coming to Irvine? Uh, I have, I've got three of the four set. I've okay. not set the Irvine one. I'm uh, if I can make it work, my plan is to complete the sweep and make all four. If I do, I will make sure you guys know. Okay, we'll, we'll look, look forward to seeing you in person. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Don, thank you very much for your time and squeezing us in your schedule. Appreciate it. Thanks, thank Don. you for the time. Have a good rest of the day, guys. Thanks, Thanks you too. Thank you for joining us for Season 3, Episode 10 of Strike 3 Podcast. 
Our thanks to our special guest, NCAA Division III Baseball National Coordinator, Don Umland, for joining us today. We certainly appreciate Don taking time out to talk to us about the outlook for the 2023 season, especially considering his busy schedule, including his preparation for the NCAA Regional Clinics. Please join us in our next episode as we conclude our series on the state of the division as we discuss NAIA baseball with the NAIA Director of Officiating Initiatives, Justin Craig. If you have any questions or a topic you'd like us to discuss or try to get a special guest for, please send us an email at feedback at strike3podcast.com. Strike 3 Podcast, your source for taking your umpiring to the next level. Bye. Oh, before you go, like all good sports officials, we value the importance of feedback. Please rate our podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get this podcast. Your rating will help us improve and assist others in finding the Strike 3 podcast. Or please feel free to email us at feedback at strike3podcast.com. That is feedback at strike, the number three, podcast.com. Thanks for listening.